street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. this discussion about street epistemology. Today, my guest is the author of Mortgage Hill Musings, Bob Swanson. Uh, your, your channel, Mortgage Hill Musings, has, seems like a little more than half the videos you have up are about street epistemology. Uh, is that about that's right? that's true? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it, can you tell us about yourself and about your relationship with SE? Sure. I, I guess the the short story is I got interested in it. Um. Mainly, uh, I guess out of out of I was inspired, I guess, by teaching. Um, I've been I'm a teacher professionally, and um, a few years back had an, an experience with a student who um, wanted to drop my class. Mm. And um, and it got me to thinking, because she was a good student. I, I thought, gosh, what would cause someone to, to want to you know, drop a class? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and so there were some professional and some personal experiences that got me really thinking about critical thinking mm. um, and why People believe what they believe, and then I just—I'm trying to think how I actually stumbled into street epistemology formally. I, mm -hmm. I'm assuming it was on YouTube. Yeah, I think I was watching some Hitchens videos okay. and that, you know, that kind of stuff. And I eventually—I think probably saw an Anthony Magnabosco video was probably mm -hmm. what what started me really learning about street epistemology. Um, yeah. And yeah, then I just started. I did a couple of. Early on, I was just so taken by by the process because mm -hmm. I guess I've come from the background, as a lot of people probably have, of kind of getting into debates and counter apologetics and that sort of thing. And quite often, that's been costly relationship wise, or or just yeah. you know, it just oh, doesn't gosh. work. You can't have an ongoing conversation and um, realize that there's got to be a better way. And, and street epistemology seemed to, uh, to to be that way. And it also, you know. It really helped me. I'm, I'm fascinated with just you know, why I believe things, mm -hmm. and it really seemed to be a good tool to use just for for self reflection. Um, you, know, you know, how grounded am I in things that I claim to believe? So, so the the, the yeah. channel kind of just sort of you know, took off from there. I just as an exercise did a couple of breakdown videos. Mm -hmm. um, I started to introduce street epistemology to, to other people. I, I spoke at uh, my local Unitarian congregation. Mm -hmm. And I worked. I worked up a presentation called uh, uh, "Good Grief at Street Epistemology." It was. It was a kind of a a, a riff on Charlie Brown. Uh, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Mm -hmm. And I created a fictional conversation between the fictional characters, um, mm -hmm. because in the very beginning of "It's the Great Pumpkin," of course, Linus is all in about the Great Pumpkin. Charlie Brown 
doesn't believe it at all. And he calls him a, an idiot or you're, you're crazy. You know, and that's you know, mm-hmm. typically where we're at yeah. in most of our conversations. When we come across somebody who believes something that we think is kind of crazy, we say, hey, you're crazy. And yeah. that's, of course, the end of a conversation. So I thought, gosh, how, how could I imagine a constructive conversation between Charlie Brown and Linus? And uh, ah. and, it, and in that video, I you know, so it's that that video. About half of it is, it's the Great Pumpkin. The other half is actually um, a breakdown of one of Anthony's videos. Uh, a, mm-hmm. a woman named Katie that he talked to on the trail several years ago, mm-hmm. and it was one of the first videos that I saw that I was really impressed with. And I, I thought, wow, you know, he made real progress in a, in a conversation that was 15 minutes long. You know, he really got her thinking about her beliefs and he also that one in particular really demonstrated the compassionate nature of true street epistemology when, when you're really um, interested in the truth and you're talking to someone who's also interested in the truth but you're also sensitive to the fact that you know, a lot of these are very personal beliefs and and you know when you start pulling on the bottom block of the of the jenga tower um <laughs> that can be quite scary to a lot of people and I, I love the way he handled it. And that's something that, you know, you know, being a teacher, being a person in authority, if I mm-hmm. go there with with a student, and, and this doesn't happen often, but you know, I want to be sensitive to the fact that, yeah, they're they're, um, you know, a lot of folks are very invested in their beliefs, and so we have to be sensitive to it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um. Okay, so I have a lot of questions that I ask epistemologists, and I'm just going to have her start pulling some up, some of them up at random. Uh, do you do? Uh, I, I assume that you're using street epistemology techniques, kind of in a teaching mode, uh, as well as actually sitting down to have a discussion with a stranger. That that actually seems like the performative or the thing that we often show uh on our streams but uh it seems as a teacher you'd have a whole different set of opportunity right yeah and actually i I do very little of the one-on-one sitting down with a stranger kind of a Mm. conversation um i do i've only had one face-to-face like recorded and even that was just recorded for myself it's not Mm -hmm. publicly available uh you know one face-to-face interview and that was with a generally a stranger, but for the most part, I do a little bit of you know kind of Facebook you know direct message mm-hmm. exchanges with with people that yeah. I know that I think it, you know that are worth doing. But for the most part, the way I use street epistemology, I suppose, and the techniques are really in my teaching. I've developed a series of lectures. They're you know kind of critical thinking lectures, and it's all about yeah you know, um, and then I, I deploy those during the course of a semester mm-hmm. and see whether that has an impact on the student. So it's not really a one-on-one sort of thing. It's just a matter of right. you know, showing some critical thinking skills. And, yeah. and quite often, quite often I'm the patsy in these, uh-huh. uh, in these, in these lectures. So for example, and I'll, I'll, I'll give one, I have, actually have a lecture <laughs> up on my, on my, on my channel. It's called, I can't believe I believe that facts and fallacies in physics and astronomy. And it just so happens that I've got a whole glass of water here. Yes. And I've got a, a CD case. Yes. And 
don't know if you've ever seen this demonstration before. But what you could do is you can put the CD case or an index card or anything like that on top of the glass of water. Yes. Turn it upside down. Yep. Let it go. Yes. It stays in place. Mm-hmm. So the question yes. is, why does that happen? Uh-huh. I, I, oh, you'd like me to to say sure. my understanding of it? Play along. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm understanding. I'm I'm mm-hmm. understanding that the uh, the water is held in by the uh, lower air pressure inside the glass than on the outside, so it's air pressure holding it up against. And there's probably a little bit of a spring function that's required, so the meniscus can manage to hold the slight decompression required to deal with the weight of the water in the CD case. Is that about right? Okay. So that was very close to the explanation that I have given for years and years and years, semester after semester. Yeah. Uh, you know, essentially it's atmospheric pressure. You know, the, 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 yes. The skinny yes. is that, yes, the atmosphere pushes, you know, this, this ocean of air on top of us, weighs yep. down on us with a force of 14.7 pounds per square inch. And so therefore, yeah, yep. the atmosphere pushing up at 14.7 pounds per square inch easily holds up that little bit of water, right? But yeah. then, several years ago, I had a student, as I was doing this mm-hmm. demonstration in class, raised his hand mm-hmm. said, what if you had an, an empty cup? Uh-huh. Uh, I can't, said, uh, did it fall? I'm looking at the screen. Right. It, it falls, yeah. Yes. Right. yes. Yeah, empty, yes. empty cup, right? And he said, yes. God, you know, if what you're telling me is true, the force of the atmosphere pushing up on this card can hold up yes. a thing of water. Well, it certainly should be able to hold up a, a cup of air. The air weighs a lot less than the cup of water. Yeah, maybe you get enough decompression for the spring function because you've got to create a difference in pressure. <laughs> Something has to pick that up. And I'm thinking that's the meniscus of the water not pulling hard enough to actually generate a bubble. So uh, surface tension of water uh, yeah, maybe, and it, and it turned and and actually, and so you can watch the video. Oh, and, I will. I, I went because I because I was flat footed in the middle, you know, in front mm-hmm. of the class, mm-hmm. the class full of students. I was like, wow. And it not only did it, you know, and I, I said to the student, I said, Mr. Freppen, I don't know. I, I his name was Aaron Freppen, and okay. I forever dubbed this thank the you, Freppen Aaron objection Freppen. because it, excellent. Thank you for Aaron Freppen. He revolutionized yes. the way I teach. Because it made me, first of all, seek out a better explanation. Because clearly my explanation did not work for him. Yes. But it also caused me, and I think at this point I was, this is before I was even familiar with street epistemology. Maybe this is why I was primed to learn about street epistemology. Was because I immediately started to think, why was I so confident? Mm. How How did that idea get in my head that it was atmospheric pressure? I did a little break, a little deconstruction for myself. I thought, gosh, I saw this when I was probably seven years old in Cub Scouts. It was a little uh-huh. magic trick in the Cub Scout manual. Yes. And I think the explanation was atmospheric pressure. Then I get to yes. high school, take my physics class, get the same explanation. Go yep. to college, see the same demo, same explanation. So it's that, that idea that was planted in my head as a child got reinforced, reinforced. And even when I was, as a teacher, one of the most respected science textbook authors, a guy named Paul Hewitt. I've taught out of his textbooks yes. for you know much of my career. Um, 
legend in physics education. Same explanation. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so that was, you know, again, repetition and authority. Yes. And I had That's awesome. no reason ever to question it. And it was, it was a great example of, gosh, this is something that I was, I was 100% on. Yeah. And now, yeah. I'm, yeah. now I'm being forced to rethink it. And yes, the video I will watch goes the video. Through. Yeah, I, I kind of break it. You know, it it's and, and the the moral of the story is, um, like there's two in, two interesting things that, that happened along the way. Is that mm-hmm. I went I went whole hog, you know, because I started to investigate the surface tension thing. In fact, the other good demo that I've got is you're familiar with tool. This very meshy kind of fabric. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with the name of it, but I I see it. Yeah, I see it. It's kind of like yes, it's kind of like a wedding. It's like a wedding veil, you know, kind of kind okay, of. Okay, very good. So you can put that on top of your your glass. Get your card. Uh huh. Huh. Oh my. Oh, I think so I have just learned a thing. That got me thinking about surface tension. Yeah. And in fact, I actually over, wow. I overcorrected. I thought, well, it's all over. Well, it's all surface tension. Mm. But then I tried it with then I tried it with acetone, something that has different different surface tension, and it doesn't work. And so it's in, okay. in my mind, it's actually a combination of the two. But what was so fascinating was when I went down to our chemistry department mm-hmm. to borrow some acetone to try this out. I had to talk to the the chair of the chemistry department. Yes. And I, I showed him this this demonstration and he had never seen it before. And he immediately went the direction of surface tension. I thought that's so interesting that we each had our own uh, confirmation, almost our own bias. Yes. I was trained as a physicist and I think macro physics, mm-hmm. I, I think macro scale, I think atmospheric yeah. pressure. He's a chemist. He thinks micro scale. He thinks surface mm-hmm. tension and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. molecules interacting and even two scientists can approach yeah. this with different perspectives just because of our own upbringing, our own education. And so this is kind of what I do. This is, you know, I, I think about these things and I don't oh, necessarily this is very, take, very fun. take the stuff that I teach. I don't take, take the stuff that I teach as gospel truth. Uh, you know, I, and I try to relate that to my students is that we should all yeah. be questioning. You know, every day is an opportunity to, think about something that we never thought we would have to think about right. before so wow okay so uh <laughs> have you tried the acetone on the playing card without the uh uh fabric yes mm-hmm. yeah acetone won't and hold what it up. happens in that case will not hold it up it, it fails or it, hold it, it does it, 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 it does not hold it up right mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that, that, in my mind, it's a common, and I, and I, I could be, you know, I could still be wrong. And that's the, the nice part. Is yes. that, yeah, I, I'm still looking for more information oh, and better examples. That's and, lovely. Um, so the more we can model this sort of thing mm-hmm. you know, for students, you know, and, and, and especially these things that are kind of, you know, should be commonplace. I, I, yeah, I think about when I talk about mirages, I think about mirages and yes, this is an example from my own, you know, I've got three, bo- three children. And uh, mm-hmm. we were driving a couple of years ago, and one of my sons asked, you know, "Why does the water? Why, why does the the road look wet up ahead?" And I said, "Well, you know, that, that's a mirage. You know, we commonly call it a mirage." And um, he asked, "You know, why does that happen?" And 
I was tempted to parrot the same explanation that I've always given. Do you know why, why, why Mirage happens? Uh, my understanding is that there's a, uh, a gradient of density created by a gradient of temperature in the air. And in that gradient, you get enough of a different... Uh, am I saying optical density? It's the refractive index. Because you have a gradient of refractive index, you get a curving, and the light curves up through that uh, through that space. I'm exaggerating radically. And so you go back, instead of looking at the ground, you're now looking back up at the sky from over there. Right. Yeah, so there's a layer of superheated air is you know, yes. typically the, yes. the explanation. Yeah, yeah, you know, a, there's a difference in a, refractive index. A narrow index, gradient, a strong gradient, where right. the air here is... I, and I would think a lot of wind yeah. would reduce that. Well, you know, because we typically think about mirages as occurring you know, on, in the desert or on a hot summer day or whatever. Yes. And so that that seems tend to confirm that that and I think perhaps it goes the other way idea that was planted early right? on. Well, I'm not convinced that it's that at all, because I've I've, I've seen pictures of mirages from uh -huh. Siberia at negative thirty. Yeah, mirages happen at night when I'm driving along and I see and I see headlights coming toward me. I see those headlights coming out yes. of the pavement as well. Sure. And so I'm sure. convinced yeah, that a, a gradient that of heat does seem easy at night if you have warm ground and cool air above. But I think it has more to do with with the critical angle. What what makes a reflective surface versus a a dispersive surface? I think that's the more. I think that the surface of the actual more like road a surface. Mirror. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. I, again, I could I could be wrong, but this is another thing that yeah. I taught for semester, 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 just as How superheated did, air, superheated air, superheated air. So I thought, gosh, yeah, I see this at night. I see this in really cold conditions. Okay, and so maybe the superheated air is not the actual explanation there. So anyway, uh, did, you know, these are so just examples. Criti you know, critical that, angle on yeah, that that's interesting to think of critical. Angle. How could we tell the difference? How could we tease that out? Yeah, because I, I, I almost think about you know, the the berm on the side of the road, which is like gravel. Yes, I don't see a mirage okay. off of there, and yet it's likely just just about as hot, right? But it's not mm, as smooth. It's a different color. Yeah, not as smooth. Definitely not as smooth. And so the sky, the lights coming in, is going to get dispersed as opposed to being reflected. Okay. I gotta think about this. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure if I can tell how to tell which situation <laughs> it is, and and maybe my problem is that I don't understand the the optics of it, except at a very superficial level, like a photographer's right, right. level. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if I could tell the difference between uh, uh, that or or if maybe there is some interesting prop uh, optical properties when you get a narrow strong temp thermal gradient in whichever direction at whatever temperature over a smooth surface yeah that's yeah i know, I know. but again what, what's interesting about okay. these sort of things is you know it's a good approach but the problem is whether you think that a mirage is caused by superheated air or whether you think it's because of critical angle reflection you're not going to get kicked out of your house 
you know, your friends are still going to speak to you no matter which side of the, of the you know, and so that, that's kind of where I, I do point this out to my students, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking about these issues, mm-hmm. I, you know, in fact, my birthday's on Sunday, okay, September 27th. And for years and years and years, I thought I was a Libra. Okay. Turns out I'm not. It okay. turns out I'm Virgo. Interesting. And it all has to do with one side of the cusp or something. I teach astronomy. No, actually, it's it's the fact that when the astrological signs were set out, the ones that you see in your Mm -hmm. newspaper, those horoscope signs, that was three thousand years. Oh, back in a Julian back in a Julian calendar, and and, and the Earth, the Earth has that procession of the axes. You know, the Earth, of course, is, is, and so therefore. The sun is not in the constellation Libra on my birthday anymore. It's actually in the, in the constellation uh-huh. Virgo. And I see. So the dates that they have in the newspaper are incorrect for when the sun correct. will be moving through the constellation. Correct. Right. Everything has shifted no, should... because it's been three. It's been three thousand years. So it takes twenty six thousand years for the for the Earth to do one full wobble. Right. So we're about one ninth. You know, so everything has shifted about one sign. Um, yeah. You were mentioning something about like eighty eight constellations. I'm thinking of yes. 12 of them around the seatbelt, around the equatorial, or uh, maybe I'm thinking not the equator. On the ecliptic, the, uh, right. The, the ecliptic. Ecliptic, yeah. yeah. The, the ecliptic that all the planets are pretty much right. roughly right. into. Um, in those 12, are they the same? Are they close to the same gap? Are they defined in 12ths, or are they of no. different widths? Yeah, that's I, the International Astronomical Union in the early 20th century because there were so many constellations, so many different civilizations had named you know, different parts of the sky, different things, and they had different shapes. And mm-hmm. the IAU decided, let's let's bring some order to this. Let's actually okay. define the sky into 88 yes. blocks. So essentially, they created 88 states yeah. with boundaries. Yes. And so the constellations are not just the stars. It's actually that that part that parcel of space or part right. of the sky. So did you know, they take the invisible star constellation and then the next one, draw the lines between, and then... It, bisect them kind of yeah right okay right and so 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 as you're asking as far as are they equal or no in fact scorpius which is a scorpion Uh uh only a small little sliver of scorpius actually intersects the ecliptic so therefore okay if if you think you're a scorpio out there you probably are not because this this, because the sun is only in scorpius for it's a matter of a week or so and so and and actually there's 13 there's 13 actual constellations that are part 13, of the ecliptic. Of the other one that no one knows of is Ophiuchus. And yeah, and, and part of the yes. reason why Ophiuchus has never been included is because it's 13. Um, so there's always so been a if, deck if we astronomy nerds were to go out and popularize the notion <laughs> of, of, no, the zodiac dates are these dates, and here's why, right. is that better right. or worse for critical thinking? I don't know. It, it, it would make a lot of people embarrassed about the tattoos that they've had put on their bodies. <laughs> <I'd add. laughs> a lot of yes. good, good, lot of good, yes. lot of good money gone bad there. Um, or maybe, maybe yeah, the oh, tattoo my. repair. But I, I don't know. But yeah, it's like another example of the fact that whether I believe I'm a Libra or whether I'm a Virgo, my family still talks to me. I can still get a job. You know that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, so these are low okay. stakes beliefs. You know, most of us, when presented with new information about it, you know, and I, I thought I was a Libra for a long time until I started teaching astronomy and I learned nice. more about this. And I changed my mind. You know, I, I changed my definition. Yes. And most of us so, operate uh, that way. Most of us are able to take in new information. And if it's a low stakes belief 
we're willing to change our belief. It's to me what's yeah. psychologically fascinating is the high stakes ones, the ones that okay. we, even if presented with new information, okay. will resist making a change. You know, that, that that is is high stakes defined by my doxastic closure or defined by ooh. like how many other things I would have to change because if I changed that basis, it would lead to a cascade. Oh, or or something else. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of uh, speaking for myself, like you know, as far as you know, because I, I one time was a religious believer, or I was raised uh -huh. in a religious household. Um, eventually, I got to the point where I had kind of discarded the supernatural stuff. I didn't necessarily buy the supernatural stuff, but I I had kind of taken on the politics. You know, some of the politics I agreed with, or I it was beholden to mm -hmm. the religion because of the, the political stances that the religion put forth. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's tough to kind of go back in my own mind and even de deconstruct what was the moment, you know, what, what, what changed for me. Um, but certainly that was, you know, those were, those were high stakes beliefs, you know, because it did, you know, it, you know, as it does with so many people, it costs you, you know, family relationships when you decide to, to step away from something that, uh, you yes. were raised in and that there are other people that are you know still in that faith tradition um mm -hmm. but yeah no I, I don't know actually what would how what we would, would define as a high stakes belief you know whether it is the it's def, mm -hmm. it is high stakes because no one's going to move from it or that's it's, it's mm -hmm. a good question i in that case uh i know some people with almost no high stakes belief and some people with an enormous number of even almost trivially seeming high stakes by that standard and that doesn't make it wrong. Okay. Oh, uh... okay do you find it now some of these these questions are tuned to uh one-on-one -on -one street epistemologists so if it doesn't make sense pass and right. translate to, to to your one on a group kind of thing that you're doing much more. You find it uh, where? How do you find staying neutral? It, it's still a challenge for me. You know, this is when I do um, not necessarily in in my classroom setting, but like I said, I do occasionally mm -hmm. uh, do do online treat epistemology through mm -hmm. online and. Quite often, the people you know, I don't do it just over anything and with with anybody. It's usually I do tend to target people that I think are kind of thought influencers. Mm. You know, so yeah, you know, I've had several conversations. I, my my college roommate uh, is a Catholic priest in New York, uh, the state of New York, and I still kind of we still have a relationship and we still kind of, I still kind of se him mm -hmm. um, because I look at him as a as an influencer and. I find it very hard to to remain objective with him or or neutral with him because we we have a lot of shared history. I feel like I kind of enabled him in getting into his vocation. Um, and did, and does that I, feel bad to you? It does. Yeah, you know, I, I, and he's okay. told me he's told me that you know I shouldn't feel. You know, he thinks it's crazy that I feel guilty about it after you know a couple of decades, but. Um, I still do, and, and it's largely because of the nature of his job. It's not like other jobs. You know, I, I've had any number of jobs. Right. I've switched careers. I was a, I was a weatherman for ten years. Um, mm. 
you know, and I'm, now I'm teaching, uh, I, I've gone through a couple of teaching careers. And when I left being a weatherman to go into teaching, no one batted an eye. As long as I could support myself and support my family, there wasn't that baggage. You know, when you go into a religious vocation, there are so many expectations. You almost feel lot. You know, I, you know, at this point, especially for my friend, you know, I, I imagine that he, even if he didn't actually believe what he says he believes, he would continue to say that he believes it because what are his other options? You know, there there are so many personal expectations and professional connections and. That's you know, so I, I feel guilty because of that because he's in a, a unique. If I had if I had convinced him to get into accounting when we were in college, mm-hmm. and then he you know, at age fifty had a midlife crisis and decided he didn't want to be a, an accountant anymore, or if I had told him hey you shouldn't be an accountant yeah. anymore, <laughs> I wouldn't feel the same level of guilt because uh, transitioning yeah. out of that job is a little less a little less difficult. So okay. yeah, I, I I find my I find it hard to be neutral in that sense, and also. I find it hard to be neutral because what he is teaching, the things that he believes to be true, uh-huh. teaching as truth quite often to children or to teenagers, um, yes. I'm not convinced that that's true. And, I, and if I were doing the same thing, you know, if I continued to teach that, that the, this was because of just due to, to atmospheric pressure, right. despite mm-hmm. the fact that, that I learned otherwise or that I didn't believe it, I would, I would be a horrible teacher. That would, that would be unethical to me you know, as a teacher to continue to teach something that okay. I once was convinced of and now I'm not so convinced of um, would be unethical. And so it, it's, it's difficult. I, I've, I've tried to, I, I created a, a term for it is less, less projection, more affection when I'm dealing with street epistemology is that I try okay. less, I, I'm trying to project less of my own, you know, He's got his own life and he's got his own viewpoint and I can't try to put myself in his head so much. Uh, I, I really just had to have to kind of go from where he's at, but this is your, it's, it's still, a, it's still, it's still, yeah, it's still a struggle for me. Yeah. That's my college roommate, but you know, I've engaged, you know, a couple of ministers. There's actually a, there's a funeral home director that I'm currently kind of in mm-hmm. an SE exchange with online, you know, former friend. Okay. And, um, former friend. Trying to become a friend from normal. Someone, uh, yeah, I, I lived in a, in a certain area and then I moved away. And so we were I not see. really in touch for many, yeah, many yeah. years mm-hmm. and, and only recently have kind of reconnected online. Okay. And, um, yeah. It, so, yeah, in all those cases, because these are influencers, um, yeah, I, I I find myself a little more tempted to to want to want to change their ideas, so that if they're going to be influencers, they influence. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, focusing on influencers does seem a good way to amplify your influence in the world. That that definitely seems. Right, and it's it's just a matter of you know I I. I I don't want to steer them to my particular viewpoint. I I do try to you know, remain, yeah, uh, you know, neutral as far as not necessarily disclosing my viewpoint. Or if they do know, because you know, some of them, you know, my my college roommate does know, yeah. but I do really, you know, and honestly, and I think a lot of the SE folks, you know, are like, you know, you know, if you got if you got the truth, yeah, I want to know about it. I'm just not convinced, and that's you know, the lesson that I learned from Aaron Freppen. When Aaron Freppen said, mm-hmm. hey, you know, 
what about this empty cup? You know, because he's like, yeah, I want to be, and I love the way he approached it. You know, he was a great student. And and I, I say that, you know, I say, you know, he was truly interested. You know, he had mm-hmm. a an example that actually was counter to my explanation. Mm-hmm. But he still was a, of the mind that, Good hey, if you're right, I want to I yeah. buy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wasn't trying to be a jerk about it. But even if he had been a jerk about it, I still... Yeah. <laughs> I still was giving it. We should be thick enough skin to, to not, uh, not reject somebody's message just from tone. Right. Right. But tone does make a big difference. And so therefore, you know, I, tr- I do try to approach my, I try to pr- approach my, my Facebook exchanges, you know, that, yeah, you know, if you're right, I, I want to know about it. Let's you know, Can you show me, you know, how you got, how, what are the foundations of your beliefs? Because if mm-hmm. I can be convinced that those foundations are valid, you know, I'm more likely to to subscribe to those as well. Uh, I want to open up to the room. Uh, so if anybody is uh, ask, ask a question, uh, you can either type it with a dash, and then I'll have a little thing that allows me to vote it up to the screen. Uh, or if you'd like to be unmuted so you can voice your question, just type something and uh, we'll handle that. So, my next question. Are you aware of some of the criticisms of street? Some see it as, or maybe manipulative. If so, do you think there is some merit in some of that criticism? I, I just watched um, the, the Robert Barron video, Bishop, Bishop Robert mm. Barron. I, I think Bishop Barron? Either, yeah. yeah, I think either Anthony shared it. Pine or, Creek? I'm not sure. Or maybe it was Pine Creek. Yeah, I I, yeah, I saw Pine Creek. Yeah, I've seen a couple of them with, with well. Robert Barron. And Pine Creek's right, the one right. that's I most saw, memorable I, to me. But mm. right, I saw the original, and then I and then I saw Pine Creek's uh, you know, kind mm-hmm. of breakdown of it. And I've actually um, reached out to my my college roommate, uh, as well as one oh, of my in relationship to Bar- Bishop Barron. Okay, yeah, I was I, say, just you to reached out to Bishop Barron. Jeez, no, 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 no. <laughs> I I I essentially just sent the link to my to my college roommate uh-huh. saying, hey. You know, this guy's talking about street epistemology. What do you think? And I've not, you know, mm-hmm. and my friend said he, he would respond. I've not gotten a response from him yet. I also sent yeah. it along to a, a college. I went to, I went to a Jesuit uh, university. I went yeah. to the University of Scranton and uh, still maintain a, a, a relationship with a, a, a priest who taught me philosophy at Scranton. Yes. And so I shot him, I shot him a link as well. Just to, you know, I'm really curious to, to see how they respond to a bishop critiquing mm-hmm. se um you know, i have my own yes, thoughts you know, yes. i'm very much along the line of, of you know pine creek where um you know there's a lot of straw manning uh that goes on in that bishop baron uh you know video i think it's it, the definition i think it's the <laughs> definition of over certainty to give a book review without having read the book and admit that you yes. haven't read the book while viewing a book Mm-mm. right naughty right. naughty <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. And actually, it's it's interesting that you, you talk about that you just mentioned certainty. That's um, uh-huh. uh, the vibe. And uh, again, I don't know if it's because of he's a bishop. Uh, you know, I just get this vibe of smug certainty from from him that that grinds my gears. I I um I I tend to spend a lot of my time and a lot of my teaching trying to minimize certainty. Uh, yes. You know, or at least a uh, 
at least question certain. Yes. I, I, I'm a musician on the side, and, and around the, so, the sound hole of my guitar, I, I've made, put a couple of stickers. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, mm-hmm. with, uh, with uh, Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. You know, they were famous for putting sl- slogans M- on their musically, guitars. Musically, I'm similar. I, I don't have a visual for either of them, but I... Okay. I well, Woody Guthrie, this land is like your that. land. Yeah. Woody, Gu- mm-hmm. Woody Guthrie, he had uh, This Machine Kills Fascists on his guitar. Yes. And then mm-hmm. I, yes. Pete Seeger on his banjo had This Machine Surrounds Hate and Forces It to Surrender. Uh, mm-hmm. And so on my guitar, my homage to mm-hmm. both Woody and to Pete, I've put This Machine... Uh, what is it? This machine surrounds certainty and forces it to think again. So, so certainty is kind of my target. You know, when people are, are seem really, really certain, are really, really confident, I'm immediately thinking, okay, how could we gauge that? Uh, you know, how could we see whether or not they've got good reasons for it? And, and that that really, you know, street epistemology really appeals to me because of that. And the, there's the blog, the blog post that I put on the se uh, streetepistemology yes. dot com you know website. It's essentially that mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm giving up certainty for Lent. You know, I, I talk yes, about by my the way, there's a the link man. to that in the doobly doo. <laughs> uh, you can read yeah. his blog post. It's quite interesting about giving up certainty for Lent and and longer. <laughs> but it's interesting how certainty sometimes. I wonder if it's a in some cases, a professional advantage, and sometimes a professional disadvantage. Because I, I give the example of, you know, I was a weatherman, and you never see a hundred percent forecast for rain, right? You know, whatever. Um, and as a scientist, you know, that's part of the gig is that you're always trying to right. falsify stuff, right? Uh, and and so, I'm very open to being uncertain because there there are professional rewards for it. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's actually a good thing. It, it's it, it's a it's a positive characteristic for my line of work. And I just wonder what these other people that I'm dealing with when I'm dealing with ministers, when I'm dealing with a funeral director, mm-hmm. um, they're rewarded for the amount of certainty that they can project. You know, for them, if you're not certain, mm-hmm. that becomes mm-hmm. a liability. Yeah. And so it's just like the chemist and the physicist. You know, you know, it's it's we're approaching at it or approaching it differently. Um, and that may be, you know, the, the ultimate reason why I don't necessarily make complete progress with, with some mm-hmm. of my interlocutors, uh, you know, and of course, then that, that begs the question, well, what is progress? You know, mm-hmm. progress should be just an ongoing conversation and an ongoing examination. Um, I, I tend to, I would love to see results. I, I love the videos yeah. when someone does actually say, "Oh gosh, you know, yeah, maybe I'm not quite as confident." Uh, another one of the videos that I uh, got, you know, I think reads in the in the the room. Um, yes, I did a breakdown video of one of his conversations with a, a fellow mm-hmm. named Dominique, and I love that mm-hmm. one, you know, because you know Dominique came in oh, ten out of ten, one. and yeah, yeah, after he's done, he's at least you know he's, he hasn't abandoned it, but. He's at least changed. I only need a sliver. Openness. Yeah, right. I, ju- I just want to break the adhesive. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, I, I, I also talk about um, another one of my favorite 
videos from Anthony. I, I need to go back and do a, mm-hmm. a breakdown of this one. This is a woman named Haifa right. who her claim was that she was her mother's daughter. You know, that the woman yes. that she calls mom yes, is I her biological mother. Right? Yep. You know, yeah, I love that one because that's not religion, right? Yeah, that's just a claim. And a claim that none of us would think to really even question. Right. Just like a lot of the things that I've always taught. I've just taught them. I've never even thought to question whether what I'm teaching mm-hmm. is actually true. I assume it's true. And the fact that he's able to get her to come down a little bit from her original confidence. You know, it's not like you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's probably going to send a Mother's Day card next year. Uh, you know, she hasn't abandoned the belief that her mom is her mom. Right. No. She she's just, at least learned the tools to right? actually investigate it a little bit. And man, that's a gift. You know, if if I can give that to somebody else, that I should I, I should have to be happy in doing that. If I can just model yeah. that for my students or with my interlocutors, that's what I need to be con- consider that a success. If I've done a good job of modeling it or explaining it, um, mm-hmm. yeah, then, then I've got to be good with that. I am about four sigma certain that my mother is my mother, and probably three sigma certain that my father is. <laughs> and and I don't even know if that's reasonably justified. Or anything. Okay, question from the audience. It's uh, how do you explain SE to someone who thinks it? Who thinks it's a debate? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, it's uh, in a debate. You know, you've definitely you've you've staked out your side and your position and you're trying to mm-hmm. argue for your position uh, and be more eloquent or more persuasive. Um, and that's really just not what SE is. You know, SE is, is a, is a peeling back. You know, I, I love, I love that kind of metaphor. Um, and very, very rarely it, it's not, it's not impossible uh, to show a little bit of your own position. Um, you know, and I like the SE, Examples that do that, you know, when, when Anthony, you know, for example, he'll say, hey, you know, would you like to know what my thoughts are on that? Or, you know, in Reed's conversation with Dominique, he kind of, mm-hmm. and I, I pointed out, he, he gives a little bit of his perspective because Dominique actually, yeah, I, I love the fact that it, you, you know that it's a real conversation then. It's not a, it's not an interrogation. It's not just question, question, question. Right. A good, a good se is sensitive to when they're in a good groove and they have a, mm-hmm. An interlocutor who is really participating and really listening, and, and the interlocutor might say, "Hey, what do you think?" And that, that's kind of what Dominique does in that conversation, which I love, because mm-hmm. um, he's really, you know, Reed does such a good job of really actively listening, you know, and Dominique's doing the same thing. I just, oh, what a good conversation! Yeah, that that's a model. Very beautiful. So that you know, so if anybody wants to, you know, what what's what's the debate versus what's SE? Yeah, watch watch Reed's conversation with Dominique. Hey, <laughs> yes, almost required reading. Thank you, Reed here. Thanks again, Bob, for that video. I really love that. It was such a good video. Thank you. I need to do more, but I just I, life gets in the way. I, there's so many Time. so many great that's yeah, okay. So many great conversations that I would love to because I'm not the person out there with the camera doing it, but I I certainly appreciate it and like to point out when it's being done well um yeah yes a story about that video from bob's video of of my conversation with dominique i think i've listened to that video on a hike at runyon canyon and that was the first time i considered the location at runyon canyon 
listening to that video. And so it was all, it was a very street epistemology day, that part of the hike. So that was very nice. <laughs> uh, JCC, do you do have a question you'd like to voice? Oh, I was just, um, uh, adding to, uh, the, uh, debate part of, uh, SE. There mm -hmm. seems to be a, uh, a few people, or many more, a misunderstanding that that people sense that SC is attacking their belief systems, and it's uh, having some conversations. Some people think that they're being attacked. So, like, uh, how would you go about handling something like that? Well, I, I think I think you know showing the range of different topics. You know, and you know, Haifa. You know, first of all, you, you want to make sure that you have. Know, Agreement, you know, that the person does want to have mm -hmm. a conversation. You don't want to just start badgering somebody with questions. Uh, you know, so consent, of course, is always key. But then, yeah. you know, just showing, uh, having an example like the Haifa, you know, about you know, your own parentage. Um, mm -hmm. Was she being attacked <laughs> for for thinking that her mother was her mother? You know, just by someone asking some questions about it. Oh, yeah. No. I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, yeah, they were looking at entirely as a hypothetical and hopefully one where it wouldn't matter at all to Anthony in this case. And if it matters to Haifa, we're not asking her to adopt a new, just proportion or confidence to her evidence. Right. Yeah, some people yeah. think that SE is um, only good for certain things. And it's how, how would you uh, like explain to some people SE is really a good tool. To be used on almost anything and everything. Absolutely right. I, 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 and I, I love, you know. Again, I tend to use my examples from my own life. You know, several years ago, mm -hmm. I was um, I was in a community theater production of Mary Poppins, and I played the role of Bert. And mm. it was production week, and a colleague of mine emailed me. And she said, I'd love to come to see the show, but you know, Friday night I've got something going on, Saturday I can't. You know, she couldn't make any of the productions, the actual public performances. She said, I know that you've got sponsor night tonight. It was on a Tuesday. It was like our last dress rehearsal, and it was the sponsor of the show, which was a bank, who was allowing their employees to come and see the show. She's like, is there any chance mm -hmm. that I can come you know, for this? And I was like, uh, this is the first time I've done this. You know, I've never been involved with this theater before. Uh, yeah, call the box office, see if they'll give you a seat or sell you a seat. And, and I went out, you know, that was like the end of my work day. And I was actually rushing home to get a bite to eat. I was going to head for the theater. And so I get on stage that evening and I'm singing and dancing, doing my thing. And sure enough, there she is. She and her husband, I see her you know, out in the audience. And after the show, um, the director told us, we don't do a meet and greet after sponsor night. We can't go out and talk to the audience, which I was kind of frustrated with because during the other performances, mm. you go out and you get the slaps on the back and all that kind of stuff. But during sponsor night, that's oh. really not done. So the first thing okay. Wednesday morning, I get into the because office. Because you put and I all your off. attention on the sponsors? Is that the point? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the reason okay. for the rule was, but I, I did what I was told. And uh, so yeah. the next morning, I get on, get on my computer. Hey, Sherry, how was the, what'd you think of the show? And she, I get a, a voicemail back from her saying, I'm so sorry. My, my son sprained his ankle. We were in the ER. 
you know, maybe I can come on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I was like dumbfounded because I was a hundred percent that she was in the audience. I, I was hundred percent. I'm, Hey Sherry, how was the show? Oh, right. And right. now she's just, telling me yeah. she's not in the show. Right. Clang. And it, yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the, you know, I thought, okay. And I actually, I said, thank you, Sherry, for not being there. I can't wait to talk to my astronomy students about this. Because again, I'm the patsy here. Mm-hmm. I'm the person who is <laughs> completely wrong. You know, and it made me think, mm-hmm. okay, well, gosh, why was I so confident? I was confident because there was a bias in my head. We had this email conversation. Mm-hmm. I assumed that she was going to make her, find a way to make it to the show. And then I married that bias with really lousy data. Because mm-hmm. I wear glasses and I'm old. I'm up on mm-hmm. a stage. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not staring at any particular spot. I'm, I'm scanning the audience that you're supposed to do. Sure. There's lights in my eyes. They're in the dark. I think I see someone with shoulder-length blonde hair. And I think there's a guy beside her who's got a salt-and-pepper mustache. I would love to go back in time and see if there was anybody even close to that resemblance. But <laughs> I took that bad data, married it to mm-hmm. a bias, and boom, 100%. Hey, Sherry, how was the show? Mm-hmm. And when she says, you know, I, she wasn't there. Now, maybe she's lying. You know, maybe she's lying to me. Maybe she thought it was a lousy show. Sure. And she's trying to spare my feelings Possibly. or something. Yeah, that's a possibility. Okay. So I may not be 0%, but I certainly am not 100% anymore. Yeah. 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 Very much. Probably and very I, close to and you know, and and we could also explore the idea that well, maybe she's a quantum being, and maybe she can be in both the ER and in the audience at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's actually a good example of it. That's a non-testable kind of a thing. You know, and I, I bring this up to my students is that you know, the, the her lying to me that's testable. We could actually you know, I could talk to her and say, were you lying about? Yeah. But if I claim that she's a quantum being, well, now I'm in a realm where there's no way for me to test it, and therefore it's a claim that doesn't really have a whole lot of value. Oh. And that's 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 Reed's that's Reed's that's from Reed. By making it Reed a says that, and I love that. All right, that's yeah. all. Yeah. If there's nothing I can learn or find out, then there's not a whole lot of value in the claim. Do you ever get into situations where you feel that question belief or harm the? Yeah, yeah, I've had a couple of situations like that, and I've again kind of watched some others handle those. You know, you know, I was in a online conversation with a, in this case, it was a wife of a minister, mm-hmm. um, and I was pushing her a little bit. You know, I was asking her, you know, what the, the reasons for her belief, and you were kind of going down that path. And it was when I was first kind mm-hmm. of in street, you know, kind of getting interested in street epistemology, learning some of the the techniques and some of the questions. Um, and I didn't feel bad about you know, the fact that she was the wife of the minister. You know, that wasn't, you know, and, or even the fact that you know, she had children. You know, I'm sure she was teaching the children a certain, you know, her same beliefs. And, you know, that mm-hmm. wasn't really um, a problem for me and until I, I happened upon a blog post of hers. She posted something, you know, yes. about a miscarriage that she had had. And I thought, oh, you know, this may, you know, now we may be getting into a, an area where maybe psychologically she needs to believe these things. Um, you know, maybe this is where it's a good time to just kind of step back and, you know, 
hey, you know, we can yeah. we can chat about our families and, and that sort of thing. But you know, I'm not gonna I'm not going yeah. to probe your the, the reasons for your belief anymore. Um, and you know that's that's just you know part of just being yeah compa- compassionate. You know, having doing a discussion no harm, about the afterlife at a funeral uh, right. or a memorial. Right. right. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Not this week. Right. How about not this week? Yeah, don't bring it. Oh, ah, okay. Um, question? Uh, is there any kind of claim you would refuse to examine? If somebody came to you with a claim, are there some that you would just say? Hmm. Besides the obvious, my something just died. Right, right. Um, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I like you know, if if someone had come to me and said you know that I you know that my mom is my mother, you know that to me, I initially would be. Think oh, yeah, that's that's too trivial to even. How, how would you see that? And the fact that someone has done it, done it very effectively, mm. uh, gives me you know great hope that you know yeah you can. I think mm-hmm. it's applicable applicable to almost anything. You know, as long as someone you know particularly you know if someone truly believes in it, if they're if they act on it, mm-hmm. you know if it, if it is something that doesn't indeed Im, you know influence their actions, I suppose it's probably worth worth at least doing at least you know. Learning, well, gosh, you know, why are you so, so married to the idea? I, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if there's a claim that I would not kind of be willing to go in that path. I'm not sure how how yeah. effective I could be at doing it. Okay, okay, so uh, ones where you just might expect it's um, too loose, too definitional, too unrelated to the reality is to be able to yeah you know you know some people really especially because i teach astronomy you know i've you know some of the people that that i've been engaged with they want to go cosmology they want to start talking about you know Mm -hmm. you know what was before the big bang and you know this kind of stuff you know and and uh I'm not really super interested in in seeing that kind of stuff, you know, or talking about string theory or something of the sort, because again, those are sort of things that yeah, they're a little beyond my my comprehension. And I'm a physicist, and I, but I'm I'm the dumbest guy in the department mm-hmm. here. So, um, you know, <laughs> when you start getting into quantum mechanics and string theory, you know, it's it's beyond my ken, and uh, we get we get into the, to the realm of quantum sherry you know does she is she in the er you know, it's not something that can really be tested and so therefore i'm not sure if we could really be honest in changing a confidence and if, if that's not really a possibility even even if someone doesn't change their confidence if there's if there's a possibility of it it's a wor- it's worthwhile doing a conversation if there's no way of causing them to, to change their confidence, then it may not be worth doing. Okay. Um, my commentary comes back to the end of chapter seven of impossible conversations. Even if you don't change their confidence might at least be an opportunity to learn how someone from that perspective speaks to help someone else. Yes. Yes. So that's, 
that's Bogosian's and Lindsay's right. justification for 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 engaging with someone who's really strongly. Right, right. Is your teacher? I agree because we sh we should be learning. We 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 should we should be learning. Uh, yeah, exactly. As a teacher, you know, I yeah. I love opportunities to learn. Um, there's nothing yeah. nothing excites me more. And so if I can, you know, uh, have you know, yeah, a little less 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 projection, more affection, and by having affection, you're actually walking somebody else's shoes a little bit, and and then you learn how they feel a little bit. So, um, as a teacher, this your 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 perspective is important on this one. Is SE advisable with minors? Um. I think teaching critical skills mm -hmm. to minors is absolutely essential. You know, I think part of the reason why we're, you know, I worry for our society is this, this inability to determine you know, what, what's true and what's not true. And the, these echo chambers of, of, you know, in social media that we find ourselves in, you know, and, and the fact that we, when, when, our, when we find information that confirms our biases, it feels good in our heads, you know, all these sort of things, um, are evidence that critical thinking was not taught well, yeah, as children, you know, and we and people didn't learn, didn't develop these habits and these and didn't hone these skills, and so then they get to adulthood and they don't have these skills, and then it's they're they're easily swayed by conspiracy theories and this and that. Um, so certainly, teaching critical thinking skills is absolutely essential. Um, you know, whether it's you know, I've got three children, three boys. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, but, you know, I love the movie Smallfoot. If anybody who's a parent out there, if you've not watched Smallfoot, I strongly uh, recommend it. Um, Smallfoot. Going to talk about animated yeah, about a Sasquatch. It's an animated movie. It's about a Sasquatch. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, actually it's about a human in a Sasquatch environment, so it's like roles reversed. Right. Yes. Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. Yeah, and, there, and okay. there's and on there's your recommendation, I will check that out. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Watch it Smallfoot. because it's all about questioning. It's it's questioning, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a, it's just a beautiful film. Nice music. Uh, I've, I've watched a lot of animated films, and I don't make it. I don't make. Uh, I don't recommend them to you know to a whole lot of folks, but this is one that I really like, and I, I recommend it to parents because you know, I've, I've you know, I. I uh, I've chimed in occasionally on various Facebook groups you know, when, when there's been parents asking about parenting issues, you know, especially you know, when they've got you know, a, a divorce that's gone on and the, 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 there's shared custody and, the, and there's variances in what the religious instruction is of these children. And I really feel for those mm -hmm. kind of parents. And uh, so you know, I think it's a, it's a tool. But yeah. Uh, you know, as far as SEing, you know, if you're to, to, uh, Start interrogating, you know, the neighbor's kid. The neighbor's kid uh, may not be the best idea. You know, just be yeah. a good person. <laughs> just be a good person. Be an interested adult when you're dealing with with children. Um, you know, model curiosity and and your and critical thinking yourself, and uh, and see what rubs off. Oh, that's not what. I What's your favorite color? Green. Green. Oh, Boris is going to be very happy about that. 
Let's see if this. Have you SE'd anyone who has the belief that the Earth is? We've we've had the the conversation in my astronomy mm -hmm. class um, a couple of times. In fact, that's it's interesting. I think teaching astronomy, which I I didn't do until about a decade ago, um, mm -hmm. kind of changed my teaching trajectory. Yeah, because up until then, mm -hmm. you know, I had been a teacher back in the 90s. I left and I was a weatherman for 10 years. And then I got back into teaching mm -hmm. starting in 2010 or thereabouts. And when I was a young teacher back in the 90s, I was a physics teacher. And I thought, I'm lucky. I felt mm -hmm. bad for the English instructor because the English instructor had to make a reading list. And the reading list was going to mm -hmm. piss somebody off. They're going to have to defend mm -hmm. why they chose this book over that book, right? The history teacher yes. had to worry about, well, who's, what, what history am I teaching? Who's, you know, uh, the poor biology teacher who was in the classroom next to me was having to decide how much evolution can I get in, you know, you know, depending on where I'm, where I'm located. Whereas as a physics teacher, it's a lot of European white males you know, in the history, but mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Um, you know, there's not a whole lot that's super controversial in being a physics teacher. I didn't have to decide, oh, can I really teach Newton's third law? Who's going to get mad? Mm. Um, but when I started teaching astronomy, then you know, not only did I get pushback over, okay, all right, Big Bang, you know, you know, intelligent design, you know, but also just a lot of these conspiracy theories also kind of hover on the edge of, of astronomy. So we've, we've done flat Earth a little bit just in class. I've never formally talked about it we, we talked about gosh, you know, how mm -hmm. would you you know prove that the earth is round and all this kind of stuff uh but i do find it intriguing that every, almost every semester i'm kind of i tend to be presented with a new conspiracy theory uh you know from a student mm -hmm. one, one of my favorites I, I do one of my videos is called uh the ringmakers of saturn because a student came to me and said have you ever heard of the ringmakers of saturn and i was like never mm -hmm. don't know what you're talking about it turns out it was a book written back in the early 80s. A guy thought that the rings of Saturn were being replenished by alien spacecraft. Okay. And he wrote a whole book about it. And so okay. I do a whole video about it. <laughs> um, essentially, you know, getting to, okay, why does this guy make this argument? Where does this come from? And is this, it's, it's a kind of a long involved tale. Um, but It turns out that, you know, this guy, I think, uh, am I still here? Uh, this I, guy was just big, I thought I had to reset. Keep going. Okay. He's a, essentially the guy who wrote the book is an alien aficionado and wants okay. aliens to be doing stuff. And so sure. aliens are replenishing the rings of Saturn, more power to them. Um, and so I kind of go through that, you know, how did this guy arrive at this? You know, why, why did he go to the trouble of writing a whole book about it? And more importantly, yeah. is there any way that he could actually learn that he was incorrect? You know, what right. what could he do to possibly uh, uh, change his position? And that's you know I think and I, I have a couple of other examples out of astronomy. You know whether it's um, I flew aboard the Sophia uh, aircraft, NASA Sophia aircraft, a couple of years ago, and some people, conspiracy theorists out on YouTube, uh, think mm -hmm. that. There is no Hubble Space Telescope. That Hubble is actually located on the Sophia aircraft. And, um, 
Hey, it's not a bad and, reach. And, and, and what's and what's interesting with all these is that you know these people are, are you know conspiracy theorists would consider themselves critical thinkers. Uh-huh. They're they're the ones asking the questions, right? And and isn't critical thinking asking questions? Uh-huh. Sure. But the 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 fact they're quite often asking questions that they already have the answers to, uh-huh. and that they're asking questions you know, where if they got new information, it wouldn't ca- cause them to change their level of confidence. Well, then, that, then you're not a critical thinker. So there's a difference right. between just asking questions and critical thinking. And I think, you know, and, and there's, there's parallels when you, you know, in religion, clearly. You know, a lot of folks say, well, gosh, you know, we go to Sunday school class and we can ask all the questions we want. Um, but mm-hmm. they're very tailored kind of questions. <laughs> and, as, and, as long and every as answer is questions, Jesus Christ. And it, as long as the answers are there and as long as the, as long as the questions can be asked, but they would have really no effect on your belief. Then they're they're okay to they're fine questions to ask. And in that case, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. right as long as they're safe questions. But all the unsafe right. ones are bad for special pleading reasons. Right, right. Quinn asks. Okay, Quinn asks, "What is your favorite band?" Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I love, I think my tastes range from old Crow Medicine show, okay. which is a string band to new pornographers. So it goes from the old to the new, I suppose. I've not heard of either of those. Know. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, but and, I appreciate and, the music. And Quinn question. says, nice. Okay. So, uh, uh, I, I usually but ask I pre- Quinn for my musical tastes. He knows more than I, I appreciate the music question. If I, I do have a song, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a musician on the side. I write songs <gasps> about science for kids for the most part. But I do have a, I have mm-hmm. a song about about my flight abo- aboard the Sophia aircraft. It's called Infrared uh-huh. Set to Go, which uh, you're welcome to check out. It's, I've, I've made a couple of videos. Where do I get that? Out there. Um, Is that on a video? Yeah, infrared set to go. I made a video for that one, and that one's uh, it's on my it's on my first of all my my music YouTube channel, which is Stormin Swanson S T O R M I N S W A N S O N. If you'd be so kind as to put that in the text, yeah, I will in. include it in the doobly doo. Yeah. Okay. And the other one is. Uh... From abstract atheist, who's going to be important in our after show? We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, is it important to bring SE to a wider audience? If so, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, that's definitely important to, to bring it to a wider audience. Um, Active. Sorry, yeah, so sorry having Nathan, more I'm people. Calling you the wrong name. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, sorry. Yeah, I, I think it's been brought up. You know, uh, yeah, I would love to. My wife and I, we, we tend to, we, we like to watch the the Sunday morning political shows. We mm-hmm. tend to watch George Stephanopoulos on ABC. But I get, I find myself getting more and more frustrated uh, the more I watch them because I, I wish that there was an SE training for pretty much all, all these, uh, all the journalists out there. Um, because all too often the interviews wind up being a, Uh, just kind of platforms for for the interviewee to just monologue 
they don't, mm. don't want it being really discussions. They're not conversations, and very little, very little happens. You know, and the same thing happens in like the little round tables. Um, you know, it winds up being kind of a debate, and, and uh, the real reasons why people believe certain things never get unearthed, uh, never get probed. So uh, I think that would that would help with our you know public discourse if if more if more journalists were familiar with street epistemology and techniques of, of holding SE conversations. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know more more teachers. Like I said, to me, SE is really just a a, a repackaging of critical thinking skills. And I think mm-hmm. that if more teachers, um, you know, all schools want to they want to say, oh, we're teaching critical thinking to our students. But the problem is, there's no, they will really, annoy so many parents. Ooh. There, well, yeah, there's not really <laughs> there's not really a curriculum laid out to right. do that. And there's very few metrics. You know, are we succeeding? And that's actually, you know, I, I've tried mm-hmm. to do this. I, I don't have enough semesters of data. And in fact, I need to kind of look at my results from the spring. But I use Ben mm-hmm. Diesel's questionnaire, which I think you draw a lot of your questions from Ben Diesel's question. I use yes, that as yes, a pretest. Yes. I use that as a pretest in my classes. I give it first day of class oh. or first week of class. I shoot it out to my students saying, hey, this is voluntary. Do this, don't do this. It's not going to affect your grade. And then okay. during the course of the semester, I try to pepper in, if I have time, a couple of these little mm-hmm. critical thinking lectures that are several of them are featured on my on my uh, on my YouTube channel. And uh, and then at the end of the semester, I do a post test to see, okay, has mm-hmm. there been any shift? Have has my modeling of critical thinking skills had any impact on my students? And you know, the idea being that you know, my my lectures are very specific to me. These are personal experiences, things that I've done foolishly in the past, you know, the things that I thought were true and are not true. Um, so it's not generic. You couldn't roll it out to, to absolutely every teacher out there, but at least it's an example of, you know, what I'm hoping is that it is an example of the fact that you can teach critical thinking skills or at least model critical thinking skills and that it can have an impact on your students. You, know, you can measure yes. the, the, the shift. And uh, yes. And so yes, yeah, you know, I think for a wider audience, yes, and and the younger the better, because the, the younger people start using critical thinking, the more years they're going to have to have that as a as a a tool in their tool belt, and that's important because okay. they're going to be citizens, they're going to be voters, they're going to be parents, they're going to be fellow employees, and so uh, yeah, it's it's hugely important. Okay. Uh... Well, there's been a lot of activity regarding that that uh, survey. Ben Diesel uh, and and my producer have written programs for online that implement this thing as as a web app. And nice. there, and, and Nathan has been working really hard over the last week to optimize some of the questions and make them simpler in language and less. Um, potentially ambiguous depending on how you see your definitions uh and that's been something that's been a brainstorm going on for about a week and that's actually what we're going to do in our after show today so if you would please hang out abstract atheist abstract activist is going to take over the after show and we're going to have this topic so we would love your input if you've got a little while to talk to us about it yeah, All I've, of you out there right, are yeah. totally welcome to join us for this after show. Just look in the doobly-doo and you'll see the connection to the Discord where we will do uh, 
this brainstorm thing about that so that's a real exciting there's um one last yes, i know that there had been conversation oh, okay mm-hmm. good and I, i'd seen something about you know kind of an se curriculum and there's you know some people here on discord that were trying to kind of get something together and i i think i at least registered some interest in it and then my semester's been so crazy i've really not gotten a chance to follow up but i'm i'm glad to become this is my first time really messing with discord so I'm, I'm glad to have gotten a little introduction to this and uh uh yeah i'd be happy to try to contribute to, to something like that that's a, a a very worthwhile effort in my mind okay uh this may not all be visible on the screen so i'll read it carefully uh nathan asks i'm wondering really hard right now about radically changing the survey is there any good justification for these principles stated rather than asked would this survey work just as effectively between two people to spark a good conversation if they yes no question rather than state instead of truth is that which best corresponds with reality is truth that which best corresponds to reality I, slicker than that but that gives the example so rather than using rather than using the very confident you know the the, the five point scale kind of thing right it, instead yes, of an no, agreement it's or yeah do you well it might be yes no or it still might be a five points likert scale because you could say yes strongly yes weakly neutral no weakly no strongly something like that. sorry likert scale is you break it down to <laughs> so so the question is it's a so ask the question again i'm sorry um if nathan were to propose an example where all of the all of the statements in the thing instead of being made as statements with which you are strongly or strongly agreeing or disagreeing or however we're on the scale you are uh ask us questions that would elicit a yes or no is true for example number one is truth that which best corresponds with reality right that's one right. of those that we've got 30 different versions of the way to ask it and we're still working that down <laughs> yeah did, would, would, the would, this, would the semantics matter would, would it yeah maybe it would it be more likely to, to give a, a true response from the Yeah, possibly. Yeah, because it definitely, you know, to me, just knee-jerk reaction. Um, mm -hmm. The question actually seems more like an appeal to me giving at least my opinion and my honest opinion. Mm -hmm. um, it seems a little bit more personal to ask it in the form of a question as opposed to a declarative statement that I just need to comment on. Um, yeah. You know, it would be like, you know, chocolate is tasty or do you like chocolate um you know, there's a slight difference in, in how it's received i suppose yeah yeah i mean part of me intellectually says it's exactly the same thing and the other part of me does say mm -hmm. yeah my my translators bring it in or <laughs> or maybe it's more maybe I, maybe I take it more personal yeah i don't know so that's the kind of thing we're going to be doing in the after show. And we need to move to that yeah. here pretty quick. Uh, right. I would like to talk about your channel. That is, that's not the right one.
in the pre-show, we worked out our backup streaming computer. <laughs> Changed the guest plug on that one. And on the main streaming computer when we backed up to it. Never mind. Never mind all that. Your channel is Mortgage Hill Musings. The link is down right. in the doobly-doo. Would you like to tell us anything about that? It's it's small. There's not that many videos. Several of them, like I said, are examples from uh, my classes when I've essentially gone through critical thinking skills. Uh, and then a couple others are more street epistemology specific. You know, I, I, I would mm -hmm. recommend now that Halloween is fast approaching, you know, watch the watch the one about Charlie Brown. Um, as, mm -hmm. you know, and feel free to share it with someone who's not that familiar with street epistemology. I think it is a good mm -hmm. the, the, the intent of making that one was one of the first ones that I made was essentially just here's what street epistemology is at least to me, and here's here it is packaged in this this piece of pop culture that we're all pretty familiar with. Um, so yeah, and I need to get some fresh content up there. Um, I've, I've got I've had a video kind of in that I've been working on for a long time, or at least thinking about for a long time, and uh, need to get some permissions. There's actually a, a minister that that is involved in this video, mm. and I need to get him to, to take a look at it yes. first and kind of sign off on it before I before I put it's it out there. Very so. important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, appreciate that a lot. Okay, is is there any questions that you can think of that you wish we'd have asked? No, I, I I appreciate this opportunity. Like I said, it's. Uh, you know, I, I don't do a whole lot of public SE. You know, it's mostly in my classroom. Okay. Um, so I've you know, I had the chance to do Nanacon. I was on a panel SE mm -hmm. uh, panel with uh, uh, Anthony had had chaired that panel last last spring. But beyond that, I don't do a whole lot of public stuff. And uh, this is an opportunity for me to be a little more public, yes. a little less anonymous, and uh, I've enjoyed the opportunity. Thank you. Thank and, you. And, 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 and Dolly, uh, you know, and part of what I, mm -hmm. what I, uh, uh, you kind of came off my, came across my radar screen because you started showing up on the SE podcast and uh, ah, really yes. enjoying the content. So, so kudos and kudos to the yeah. you know, assembling this team that has put this together. Um, you've done a great job. Yes. Yes. The team self assembles, as it turns out. <laughs> In the SE community, it's self organizing. It's really odd. Little nanomachine. Oh, we could do this. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, ooh. Um, yeah, indeed. Here are five of my favorite SE specific YouTube channels. They are on a list of many uh, that are the promoted channels. If you are really into this uh, method of street epistemology, my favorite place where resources are gathered is at streetepistemology.com. There's all sorts of resources. There's wikis. There's this. There's that. There's uh, ways to get into the Facebook group if you want the social media or the discords or the. Well, it's all here. It's brought to you by Street Epistemology International, the ones who produce the SEI podcast, which is something that I'm very excited and happy about. The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org. The views, guests, and topics expressed here or not expressed here do not necessarily represent those of the organization.